Hi, this is Dr. Ali Sharma with a trigger warning for everyone. You may hear us speaking about life experience in this podcast that have meaning for you, that may be difficult to hear, or that may affect your loved ones. As always, we encourage you to seek help from a licensed mental health professional or other healthcare provider with any questions you may have about what you're going through. Everything in this podcast is for informational purposes only, and it's not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please don't delay seeking help because of something you hear on Model Mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma. And I'm Bridget Malcolm. And this is Model Mentality, a podcast where we are opening up the dialogue on mental health, one conversation at a time. So a bit about this episode before we begin. Today's episode was created through a collaboration with Fountain House. For those of you who are not familiar, Fountain House is a national mental health nonprofit fighting to improve health, increase opportunity and end social and economic isolation for people living with serious mental illness. We believe so strongly in their mission and partnered with them for their January 2021 campaign called Your Mind Matters. In this episode, we are speaking with Crystal, a Fountain House member who describes her substance use disorder and her path to recovery. You will first hear Dr. Ali speaking with Crystal and in the second segment, Bridget speaking with Crystal in our Let's Get Real format. We hope you enjoy this episode. So first of all, Crystal, thank you so much for speaking with us. I think your story is a really important one to hear. Uh, So let's start early on. Tell us a little bit about um, your early life, like paint a picture for us about how things were growing up for you. Um, I was always a really happy kid. And as I grow older, um, I realize I I was always happy, but there wasn't much to be happy about, if that makes sense. But, you know, I'll take it for what it is. But uh, I have a father who's in recovery now, but as a child, he was still using and, you know, I took advantage of that as a little kid because I kind of got to do whatever I want and it kind of flip-flopped in par- like with my parents as I grew older. Um, I lived in Brooklyn up until I was in fourth grade. I moved to New Jersey right by Six Flags, so that became a object of interest for me. Um, there was really not too much to do. Even when I lived out in Brooklyn, I kind of just went to school, hung out with family, hung out with a couple neighbors, and there wasn't much to it. You know, and I was curious in that context. I mean, you said your father was using. So were you aware that that was happening? Was it something visible to you? It was definitely visible. But if you were to ask me right now, like without my dad telling me, like I would have been like, I I had no idea. You know, I knew he drank beer in the mornings, which meant I got to have orange soda and watch rated R movies. But I don't really remember anything except that moment, like those moments or, you know, me asking for a bedtime story to hang out at night. And that wasn't available to me. But he's very open with his story because he wants to be honest in his life and help others just like that's a goal for me so he does tell me now and then like things that were done in front of me or involved me and i have no recollection of it whatsoever okay so then fast forward you know in the context of what you describe 
how did you begin first using substances? You know, and I'm curious specifically, when did it first start? You know, what did you try first and how did things progress from there? Um, so it pretty much started like most young preteens or teens. Um, you know, someone gets steals it from their parents, steals alcohol from their parents' cabinet or uh from their older sibling and then they bring it into school and at first just because of the things that i've witnessed with my own family i was against it didn't want like kind of like tried to be a parent to my friends who were doing it but it was kind of the peer pressure and really just the curiosity of well, why do so many people drink? Why do so many adults do this, you know? Um, so I started with alcohol and it was just a once in a while thing. My friend would bring it like to school in a water bottle and during class or in between classes, we would all, you know, share the bottle or whatever. Um, then it kind of just escalated to pot smoking, marijuana, um, you know, there was, I lived in, this is when I lived in New Jersey and I lived in this cul-de-sac and there was always this one guy who everyone was scared of, but you know, it, it was like, okay, why is everyone scared of him? And then it was, okay, we're scared of him because he's on drugs. Okay. So we know where to get drugs if need be. So it went from alcohol to alcohol and marijuana. And then around mid sophomore year of high school, um, I had the same group of friends all throughout high school. And those people kind of just were like, brought the curiosity of other drugs um, to me because I was allowed to have anybody in my house whenever 20 people sleeping over all I had a whole floor of my house was my room so I had a lot of privacy as a teenager and I had no rules really so we would be able to sneak up alcohol sneak up drugs wasn't having to sneak up people because we were just allowed to bring them up and it was just like party central so it went from alcohol, weed to, well, let's try these other things, you know, let's try pills, let's try um, K2, let's try all these different substances. And then we loved all of those substances. So why not trying to start mixing them? And then that became a part of all of our lives daily, multiple times a day. So when you look back on that time, I mean, it sounds like you, you know, you describe how there were no rules and the ability to do it, but for you personally, why were you using other than the initial stages, right? When you were trying, what did it help you with or what was the gain for you? I mean, I've always had anxieties about not feeling like I fit in or feeling like I'm weird. And like people are only, I, I never really stood up for myself. So I just kind of stuck with people who gave me a type of friendship, if you want to call it. Now I look back and it was really that these people were using me because I was so nice. And I've always had that so many people in my life are like, you're too nice. 
I've always heard that throughout my whole life, and I never really understood what that meant until recently, where I would allow everybody to use me, or you like they they saw something I could benefit them with, or I was helping them in some way, or they could walk all over me, and I wouldn't talk back, and that really became a problem because back then it was the anxiety that kept me in those friendships and relationships and um, having panic attacks so that I didn't have to stay in school or whatever the case may have been in each situation. Um, and then it kind of just progressed into to mood swings, um, which would start off with either I was super anxious or I was super manic, constant going, 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 talking my head off and being impulsive and all of these other things. And because I was on drugs, I didn't really see how they were affecting me unless I was in an extreme state of mind that landed me in the psych ward or in a day program. And something that I always had was I always put myself in those places because I was so scared of myself because I didn't take the time to understand what I was feeling and why I was feeling it. So I just masked everything with using substances. And so when for you, did you realize um, that it was too much, right? The substance use or the mental health symptoms you described that you needed help? When I was a teenager, I saw that I had issues with these things, but I never wanted to get help for myself. And something that I, with a lot, along with a lot of other people, we don't, we, we try to get better for other people, and that may help in the beginning. It may be a good jump start, but it's not going to keep us from bettering our, like, it's not going to help us better ourselves in the long run. I, I just, um, not too long ago, after some extreme stuff happened, I, I did realize that either I have to get better for myself and only myself, or there's not going to be any type of getting better. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, when we first spoke, you mentioned that you'd been diagnosed with many different things. So today, how do you understand your mental health and what have you been maybe diagnosed or what have you experienced that makes sense to you? Um, well, my diagnoses are, you know, uh, a couple different things. And I honestly am thankful for those diagnoses because at first, it was tough for me to take those things into, like, to take them, I, I thought of them as a label, and I thought of them with the stigma that's behind it, but when you understand them and you take them into consideration, really, you're just learning how to deal with it and use them as, like, some people think I'm, I'm crazy for saying it, but, um, I think of it as a superpower, as something that you can use to not only better yourself, but help others around you. And that's like, honestly, the best thing that could happen to me. What's been the hardest time for you? If you look back, you know, in your earlier youth up to now? Um, 
Honestly, I would say the past few years up until getting sober, those were probably the roughest times for me just because I was very alone. During my teenage years, I did a lot of stuff. I went through a lot of stuff, but I had substances and I had friends and school to help like distract me from it. I never worked through it. So once I, I moved back to New York, I had a lot of changes. I went from having my own room to now I share a room with my grandma. And I've had a lot of loss and I've had a lot of different changes and now I'm an adult. And all of these different things happening, I started to have to deal with not only my issues today, but my issues as a child and a, my issues as a preteen and a teenager. So everything caught up and now I'm at the point where I was like, I have to deal with it or I have to not deal with it, but what's going to benefit me in the long run? Right. And it's the confrontation that can be so challenging for so many people, especially in the context of recovery and sobriety. Um, but that's amazing that you are at this place. So can you just tell us a little bit about how you found Fountain House and what role that's played in your recovery? Definitely. Um, I was uh, about three years ago, I was going to a place where they have your therapist and your psychiatrist in one building. Um, and I was pretty close with my therapist and I was really at a loss, but I wasn't at rock bottom because I was still using and that was holding me back in a lot of ways, but I was looking for a place where I didn't have to go and like, I didn't have, I wasn't, I didn't have to be worried about the psych ward or the day program or anything that I've already dealt with that I didn't feel like it helped me. So I was looking for something new and my therapist brought it up to me and I didn't really even think twice about it. I said, you know what? I'm going to try. So I went to the initial tour, which actually on Christmas Eve, this coming up this week, it'll be, I believe, two years since that. And I showed up by myself and I was scared because everybody else on the tour had someone with them. And honestly, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. And I didn't see anything special until just halfway through something clicked. Halfway through that tour, something clicked. And ever since, I've just been trying my best to help others and finding people that I can relate with on a level that I can't relate with most other people about. And I can't be more thankful for that because it's really brought me all of these things that I've never even thought someone could help me with. Final question, and then I want to turn it over to both you and Bridget. So where are you today with your mental health? honestly I've never been better and, and that may sound cliche but between Fountain House and getting sober um, I used to have panic attacks anywhere from one to ten times a day where I was physically hurting myself and I thought that this was never gonna end and once getting sober 
am really putting energy into things like Fountain House and myself, I have had only two panic attacks since getting sober, which is going to be five months in a couple days. And I can honestly, like, you know, I still have my days. I do. But I'm more of an advocate for myself. And I know when certain things are happening or when, like, mood changes are happening, when I'm anxious. And I'm able to stop them before they get so, in like, intense where I feel like I need to to be admitted or use a substance to mask that pain. I'm actually learning how to deal with it now, which is healing me more than anything else ever could. Crystal, thank you so much for sharing all of this. So let's move into our next segment. So let's get real. What I hear in both of your stories is that when using substances, there was something going on inside of you. You know, we just did a episode where it was described as inner discomfort or, you know, emotions, or it starts out as recreation and it progresses to other things in the context of maybe a complicated social environment. And, you know, there are reasons why people maybe fall into substances and stay there. And, you know, I hear that there's a common theme in Bridget's story as well as yours. And then also recovery, although you're two different people from different worlds, the themes are the same, right? So I'd love for you, I'd, I wanna hear both of your perspectives on just thinking back to the teens, why you used and then crystal what you just said which is that you've only had two panic attacks and you've had to confront your emotions and you're doing better because of it i mean it took a lot of work and you have the right supports in place but recovery is a process but a profound one i knew i had a problem pretty much as soon as i started just because of how it made me feel and even before i ever used when my dad first got into recovery i was intrigued by it because i saw the change in him and going back to the whole psychology and wanting to help others i found something so fascinating like how are all these people helping each other with something that no nobody not any doctor psychiatrist psych ward could help them with so i used to go to meetings with him like i was 10 years old going to meetings with him and just listening and just so fascinated by that and so proud that my dad was part of something and to this day i am so proud to and thankful and grateful that he is my father because without that i would probably still be using to this day and i would be in a way worse situation than i am so that's really interesting having early childhood exposure to getting into recovery <clears throat> excuse me like i i I, I same from when I first had my first drink, I knew that it, it seemed to affect me differently. Like I needed it in a way that my friends didn't seem to need it. Like it was kind of like a social thing for all of my friends. But, you know, for me, I went straight to hiding it in my room and straight to just like subterfuge at the age of like 14 in order to kind of mm -hmm. just get what I needed to feel okay. Like a lot of things in your story really, you know, really like hit home for me as well. Like, you know, I never quite felt like I fitted in. I never felt comfortable in myself. And like those feelings stemmed from just a basic part of my identity that was rejected early on. And like, it it was just, if alcohol basically just made me feel as though I could be around humans and people wouldn't like judge me or hate me 
because like I wouldn't judge or hate myself the next day I would be full of regret but yeah but still I you know I got into recovery at 27 I'm now 29 and I I didn't even know that it was possible I didn't really know it was a thing I just knew that like I was destroying my life and it wasn't if it wasn't for one friend of mine who I watched get sober like five or six years ago I wouldn't have gotten in because I just didn't know about it I don't know I feel like more people, I feel like more people should just go through what the program teaches you, even if you don't have an actual addiction issue. So I feel like it just sets you up for life in such a beautiful way. What was the moment you decided to get into recovery? Um, honestly, I was doing, uh, a couple of years ago, I was doing Xanax and it was laced with fentanyl. So it, it went downhill very very quickly and I chose to instead of going into a rehab or anything like that I chose to smoke weed to deal with the withdrawals and thinking that it was just going to be like a one or two week thing turned into smoking all day every day up until five months ago so it would have been around four years and i could not function without it i would smoke before during and after i would mix with the smoking i literally could not live without it and you know like every <laughs> or most other addicts they try to cut down or they try to um manage their money differently so oh you know i was saying to myself oh i only spent this much amount compared to this much amount last month and so on and so forth and my anxiety just got worse and worse and worse but i justified it by saying that smoking made the anxiety better but it only made the anxiety better for an hour until I needed to smoke again. Um, so it kind of just got up to the point where I was getting really, really bad with the anxiety and the anger and the mood swings and all of my mental illness symptoms were just being amplified a thousand times. And I no longer knew who Crystal was except for anger and anxiety. And I pretty much would take all these long walks with my dad talking about it and one day um you know facebook knows everybody's lives and will always give you an ad right for what you were talking about and an ad popped up for a rehab and going back to how i love nature so much it was two thousand feet up in the mountains three hours away from the city and something just told me that i needed to do it and I walked with my dad for hours and I said, this is what I'm doing. They already accepted me. I already called them and this is what I'm doing. And obviously he was the first person to jump on board and back me up as much as I needed. And here we are. Yeah. Again, I, I feel like there are so many things I relate to. So for me first, it was, um, you know, an eating disorder. And then I took Xanax every day for six years because I was prescribed it. That was the very first time I thought like, wow, like uh, this is actually out of my control. Like I, if I ran out, I would panic. If I, I found it in some very strange parts of the world for my job. Like I, 
the idea of not having it was just un- unbearable. And it was, yeah, because of anxiety. It was because deep-seated discomfort over who I was. And I thought, like, well, all right, this probably isn't good. Like, I don't like being so reliant on it. So I just got through the withdrawal and then my eating disorder got shockingly bad. And then when that got really bad, then the drinking got bad. And, like, finally, like, a year and eight months ago is the first time I've, I stopped I was just like, all right, like, what is this? Like, what is this really about? Because like, yeah, it's such a classic thing to try and find other ways to handle the discomfort. But the only way to handle it is to face it and to show up for it. And yeah, getting into recovery for me as well was just waking up after a particularly horrific night and realizing that like this wasn't going to stop, that I like it had gone too far. I didn't know who I was. I just knew that like who I was at that point was not okay. Like it wasn't the person I want to be. And yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm definitely excited to hear about the early days for you because for me, the lifting of anxiety and fear was remarkable. Like it still comes back and like dealing with the reasons why I felt the need to drink, I definitely still have cycles of fear and panic attacks. But God, compared to what it used to be, it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, yeah, how were the early days for you? How was like your first 90 days and yeah, early days of recovery? Um, well, uh, first 90 days was definitely not too long ago. Um, I'm celebrating five months this Wednesday. And honestly, everyone talks about like that first 30 day surge of like the first 30 days that adrenaline's pumping. And like, once you get through the withdrawals and stuff, like it's easy because you feel great, you're on like this natural high you've never been on before. But um, it's honestly, I get like emotional talking about it because I actually had something happen in the beginning of when this whole COVID-19 hit, so back in March. And I was getting sick for the past few years a lot. Like my, I already have stomach issues and I was getting really, really sick constantly pretty much and my doctor came up to me and said hey the the marijuana smoking could be a huge cause of this between young women who smoke as much as you do a lot of them get this issue and I laughed in her face and I said if you ever catch me uh, like sober from everything that that's that's I don't even know like it's hilarious to me that you would think I would ever quit anything and then months later I choose to get sober and I still go through those bouts of you know like well damn I'm I'm only 23 you know everyone around me is drinking and smoking weed like why can't it I just be normal and and that's how the early days were for me and still are sometimes now. But that mental health boost, like that feeling that I've never felt this happy before or content or in control, you know, like I'm facing all of the stuff that I've never faced before, which is tough. But I actually feel like I have the strength to face these things that I've never faced before. 
and not having those panic attacks and those horrible, horrible thoughts is all I've ever wanted. And that's why I started using in the first place. So now having it with like, ha like having that freedom and having sobriety and these wishes granted and it's only five months in i'm like well how's 10 years gonna be how's five years gonna be how how am i gonna be at 60 because i already feel 200 times better and it's just crazy to me it's so great it is i was having this conversation with someone last night actually it was like dr sharma and i first started working together when i had about two months and like, you know, I was anxious and feeling very uncomfortable, but like things are already better then than they've been. And now, you know, we, we talked about it when I celebrated a year and now it's like, I'm coming up on two years and I just, I can't believe that I get to be this person. Like I, I never dreamt that I would actually get to be who I am today. And like to have the courage that I have today and yeah, to not be afraid of people. Um, I used to be so, so afraid of everybody. And it was because I was so afraid of myself and so uncomfortable with who I was. And yeah, I mean, I definitely, I had a moment the other day where I was with some people who were talking about, you know, partying. And even just like the way that they were talking about it, I was like, wow, I'm so not like you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in, need to be in recovery because like, to me, that conversation was about whether or not they wanted to go to the party. And my conversation would have been like, well, we're definitely going to the party. And like, what can we do after? And it's like, I don't know, at the end of the day, like knowing who I was then and the person that that brought me and comparing it to who I am now, it's like, yeah, imagine what this is going to be like if we just keep going for years. Like, it's crazy how well it works. Um, and yeah, I kind of, I feel the same way as you. I wish that like, I want to help other people with this as well. I also view sobriety as a superpower. Um, I laughed when you said that because I was like, I feel that too. Like, you know, it's the, the the addiction piece of it. Like it gives you a drive that some people will never really understand. And it forces you to be self-aware um, and to learn empathy, which is incredibly important in this day and age. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's a hell of a way to get it. <laughs> um What's the most important thing you've learned about sobriety and recovery? The most important thing that I've learned, um, honestly, kind of just to like piggyback off of some of the things that you said is like everybody in the whole entire world can benefit from the things that we learn in recovery and like you said, even if you have, even if you're like the best person that anybody's ever met, you can, it, it's about dealing with yourself and dealing about the life on life's terms. And so many people, even people without addiction issues or mental health issues, a lot of us don't understand how to deal with life on life's terms. We react with anger, we react with emotion, and we react in a lot of ways where we could look back and be like well tomorrow i will focus on not acting that way or not reacting that way and and that's honestly all i need because going back to the mental health stuff you know we we tried to hide everything every emotion every 
every wrong thing we did, every wrong thing that was done to us, it was all about hiding. And this is about confronting. And that's a great way to live and grow. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I couldn't have put it better myself. Um, I also like, it's about confronting. And for me, a big part of it has been learning how to have compassion for myself. Like, you know, like whenever parts of me that I perhaps I'm not so big a fan of, I used to just beat myself up over it and just like think mm -hmm. that I didn't deserve anybody's love. And being able to like observe those like character flaws or character traits, whatever you want to call them, with compassion and like acceptance kind of takes all the wind out of their sails. And I found that so refreshing because my default used to be just like self-annihilation in every way. And now it's, yeah, it's, it's such an, you have so, I have so much more energy now to focus on like more productive things, which is useful. Um, I'd also add one more thing is that like, for me, it was learning about how to speak to other people and something that you said earlier about like having, hanging out with the wrong sort of people, like not realizing that that wasn't like a real friendship recovery has really taught me how to rely on other people and then how to trust other people with the parts of me that I don't know how to deal with. And then to have, like from that, you have real friendships. Like you can't have friendships if you're not able to be completely open and honest with someone. And all my friendships have benefited, like both in and out of the recovery rooms. Like, yeah, I, it's amazing. I, I mean, I said it before, it's like, I can't believe I get to be this person. I've always wanted to be this person. And crazy mm -hmm. um okay 50 million dollar question if you had 50 million instagram followers what would you want to tell them about mental health wow um that's a that's a cool question um especially because i don't have instagram <laughs> um i respect that <laughs> um it's it's crazy because i i did it, this is on the topic, but a little off. Uh, before I deleted Instagram, I worked so hard on creating a page about mental health for young adults and working on that, especially because as a, a teen and a young adult, we take that mental health and we and the mental illness and the the hardships and stuff and we do our best to hide it because we see other people doing the things we want and we feel like failures or we feel like we're doing something wrong or that there's something wrong with us so even when I was actually like a preteen I would create meanings for people with mental health issues if you want to call it that and i would just really like if i had those 50 million followers I, I would do everything in my power to not only say anything about mental health and that it's okay and forget the stigma because it, it it's stigma it, it's rumors it's it has nothing to do with the truth but i feel like there needs to be a lot more support for teenagers and young adults with mental illnesses that that's the biggest thing that I I could ever vouch for because those are the people who have some of the hardest time talking about it and if they do talk about it they they feel like they're met with like a fight back
or judgment? That's all the questions. <laughs> um, thank you so much. This was so great. I absolutely love talking to you. Yes, thank you for having me, honestly. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah. It was a great conversation. Now, let's get clinical. Let's review Crystal's story. Crystal grew up with a father who was in recovery and had firsthand knowledge of going to meetings with her father, knowing the subtle signs of when he was using, but also the risks associated with having no rules and a lot of privacy as a teen. It was not until her teen years that she started to experiment with substances. First, it was alcohol with her friends at school. This later progressed to marijuana. Her use escalated to daily use of substances in the context of no rules. From there, she started to experience mood swings, from anxious to manic. But because she was on drugs, she did not exactly see how she was affected. Substances masked how she was feeling. And it was not until she became sober and she found Fountain House that she started to feel better, realizing that substances were masking her pain. And now she's addressing that pain. Two things stand out to me from a clinical perspective. First, youth and high-risk substance use. And second, prevention. On the first, did you know that approximately 15% of high school students in the United States report having used certain illicit drugs, including cocaine, inhalants, heroin, methamphetamines, hallucinogens, and ecstasy? And drug use is associated with so many mental health consequences. When it comes to youth, we know that many young people start using in their teens, but there are some teens who are at higher risk for adverse consequences. According to the CDC, those risk factors include family history of substance use, favorable parental attitudes towards the behavior, poor parental monitoring, parental substance use, family rejection of sexual orientation or gender identity, association with delinquent or substance using peers, lack of school connectedness, low academic achievement, childhood sexual abuse, and mental health issues. You heard in Crystal's story that her father was in recovery and she had poor parental monitoring during her teenage years, both of which made her higher risk for adverse consequences from substance use. The good news is, is that if we as a society can work on the risk factors and intervene early, we have a chance to help our youth who are most vulnerable. On the second, let's talk about prevention. What can we all do to help? The Centers for Disease Control identifies five areas that can protect our youth. First, parent or family engagement. Second, family support. Third, parent disapproval of substance use. Fourth, parent monitoring. And fifth, school connectedness. So what can you do as a parent, teacher, or caregiver out there? Talk to your children. Educate them on the perils of substance use. Provide continual support monitor them and make sure they're connected to friends, to loved ones, and to their communities. I can't thank Crystal enough for opening up with us about her upbringing, her substance use, and the path to recovery. I want to thank Fountain House for this incredible collaboration and for the work they're doing for young people around the globe. Many people struggle with substance use disorders, and we want you to understand that you are not alone, that there is power and connection in speaking up and in asking for and receiving help. I'm Dr. Ali Sharma. Thanks for listening to Model Mentality. As always, if you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1 800 
273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on Model Mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.